Um, hi, this is Suffolk Kirschbloom. It's Sunday, August 20th at 8 p.m. in Israel. Um, and we are starting the first of the different personalities that reflect Chuva. Okay, and so in front of you um, is our introduction. To me, I, um, I love Tanakh. I think that everything that we could possibly need to learn in life is somewhere inside Tanakh. And so what a better place to start than the beginning. Um, and when we think about Elul and we think about, you know, very anxiously approaching the Amim Noraim of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and Slichot and all of the heaviness um, with the excitement of the new year and all that it'll bring, obviously tshuva and repentance is a huge element of what we think of when we think of those days. So if we want to understand different elements of tshuva and what it should or does represent to us, what an amazing opportunity to learn from the people who either did it right or not so right. So the first source we're going to look at is the first humans, Adam and Chava. We're not going to analyze their story in such depth. It's more I want to see post their mistake, how God responds to their mistake, and then ultimately how they respond to God in that situation. We're really going to be focusing on Kayan. He's our main character of definitely at least tonight. Um, but I want to be able to compare him and highlight what is different and unique to him versus his parents. So with that, we're going to look in the source in front of you, Parak Gimel of Seder Brashit. So this is already after they eat from the fruit, meaning we already, I skipped, we're in Pasuk Zion, I already skipped the preface of the snake convincing Chava that she can eat from this tree, it's okay to eat from this tree, and she does. Not only does she eat from the tree, she then brings it to Adam. And here we start in Pasuk Zion. Right, so meaning they already did this mistake, this sin, however we run or refer to it. And then here is the aftershock, and that's where we're going to jump into the story. So the aftershock of eating from this fruit is all of a sudden their eyes are opened, and they know that they're naked. And immediately their response to knowing that something shifted, something changed, is they quickly make these clothes out of these belts of um, different leaves. So they hear God hovering, walking, right? Obviously, this is a really challenging story to understand, and that's why we're just dabbling in it. I feel like it would take us probably uh, the whole four courses to understand this particular element in the story, but just to get a brief view of it, right? They hear God coming, so they hide, right? They hide, he and his wife hide behind a tree. So God calls out to Adam, right? And famous words, and Hashem calls out to Adam and he says, Ayaka, where are you? Right? And again, this is our first introduction to God reacting to, quote, quote, a mistake of humanity. And I always love how calm it is, right? We're going to focus a lot about this in Kayan, but this is our first introduction. Ayaka, where are you? And he says, 
right? Such a, you know, child response. Oh, I heard you, <laughs> right? I heard you were coming. I was scared and I was naked. So I hit Pasuk Yedalif, right? Still so loving and kind. And Hashem responds, right? Wait a minute. How did you know that you were naked? Did you eat from that tree that I told you not to? Pasuk Yibet, Vayomer Ha'adam, and this man says, Right, we're all very familiar with this type of situation, right? We're accused of something and we immediately point the finger. Oh, well, the woman that you gave me, right? Not even blaming her as much as blaming, you gave me that woman, right? And that woman, she gave me the fruit, Right? Pasukid Gimel, amazing response. God doesn't even respond to Adam. He immediately turns to her and he says, Mazotasita. Right? He looks at Chava and he says, What have you done? Batomer Haisha. And she says, Hanafash Hishimani Vochal. Right? Again, blame game, pointing the finger at the other one. Right? She doesn't accept it at all. No taking of responsibility. She says, That snake, he tricked me. And I ate it. And then finally, right, Hashem turns to the snake and he says, Right? And it meaning he doesn't ask the Nachash anything. He doesn't say what happened, right? To Adam, he asks what happened. To Chava, he asks what happened. To the Nachash, he doesn't ask what happened. He immediately just punishes him, right? And gives him the this famous punishment that he will always be on the ground, always have what he needs and never need God, right? So that's the first part of the story. And now I want to dabble just a little bit in the punishment of Adam and Chava, right? Again, he gave them their opportunity to take responsibility. He gave them their opportunity to admit they don't. So what is their punishment? Pasuk Tedzayin, El Ha'isha Amar, to the woman, he says, Harba Arbeh Etzmonech Veheronech Be'etzev Teldibanim, right? And Many of us are familiar with this, right? You will go through tremendous pain when it comes through to pregnancy, when it comes to childbirth, when it comes to child rearing, right? Nothing about this will be simple or painless. This is now her new situation. And to the man, he says, right? You will have to work for the food for the rest of your life. You will have to literally create the concept of work and having to provide for family and all the concept of parnasah. And it won't be easy, right? By the sweat of your brow, this is nothing is going to come easy to you anymore until you go back to the ground, right? So if I'm just looking very quickly at this story, I see a mistake obviously, right? And response to this, the mistake is God comes, he asks a question, he tries to get them involved. Everyone just points the finger at the next guy. And instead of engaging in conversation again, God just says, okay, conversation over, here are your punishments. And we get kicked out of Gan Eden, right? So with that, I want us to jump together to, hold on, I would say page two, but maybe it's saved as a different one. Uh, one second. So sorry. Ah, there we go. Page two. Perak Dalid. Okay. Now, Perak Dalid, um, the story of Cain and Hebel is by far my favorite story in all of Tanakh. I think that number one, every time you open it and look at it, there is new ideas to unpack, new 
elements to the characters that are wowing. But even more than that, I always introduce the story of Kain and Hevel as if you want to learn how to learn Tanakh, start with this parak because it's begging you to unpack every word and understand every phrasing and begs you to question it. So we are going to go way slower in Perak Dalid, hopefully get to know our characters a little bit better and hopefully dissect the text in a new way, hopefully. Okay, so first I'll read Pasuk Aleph. I'm going to translate it literally and then we'll start asking our questions. So Sefer Bereshit Perak Dalid Pasuk Aleph. Adam yada et chava ishto, and Adam slept with right yada in Tanakh means to know intimately right. He slept with his wife Chava, Vatahar, she got pregnant. Vateled et Kain, she gives birth to Kain. Vatumer and she says, Kaniti ish et Hashem, I acquired man with God. Now those first few words right, mamash, just the first five words of the sentence are incredibly unique, incredibly strange, and are begging you to ask questions. Now, not about the intimacy of this couple, because obviously, number one, it is a little bit odd to tell us that, right? Most times when it tells us about a pregnancy happening, it doesn't tell us that the couple was together first, right? It's almost like, okay, we expect you to know that, right? But here, not only does it tell us that they were together, but the Hebrew wording is incredibly strange to the point there's only two times in Tanakh, or Torah, I should say, that it's ever written in this way. Meaning, I'm going to talk, you know, American BJE education for a minute. I know for me, in fourth grade, we spent a good few weeks in Ivrit class, in Hebrew class, on something called the Vav Haifuch, right? The Vav Haifuch, if it's in front of a word, it takes the word and it makes, if the word was future tense, it inverses it to past tense. And if it was past tense, it inverts it to future tense. Now, I could tell you that we spent that month on it, and I actually understood it at the time. But as someone who now lives in Israel, no one uses vav right? This is not a typical Hebrew that you ever need to be acquainted with, right? But if I actually think of all of Chumash, the entire five books of the Torah were written in Vav HaYifuch form, right? If I were to say, and Hashem said to Moshe, right? How do I say Hashem said to Moshe in Chumash form? Vayomer Hashem Moshe, right? Or Moshe says something to the people, Vayidaber Moshe al Yisrael, right? This is Vav HaYifuch because Moshe said to the people would be, Moshe Amar, or Moshe Daba, Daber al Bnei Yisrael, and that's not how it's written, Daber, right? It's always the Vav Yud to create this Vav Hahifuch. But here, the Adam Yada is not written in Vav Hahifuch, right? It should have said, typical biblical Hebrew would have written Vayeda Ha'adam. Right? That's how Chumash is generally written. So why is it written V'hadam yada? And to answer that question, I have to actually take one more step back and say, wait, now that I understand V'hadam and now that I'm thinking that all of Chumash is written in this structure of V'hadam why? Why did God choose to write five books of the Torah 
in Shakespearean Hebrew, right? Right. I always wondered why Shakespeare wrote in Shakespearean English. Why couldn't he just write in typical English, right? So why did God choose to write in Vav Ha'ifuch, old school, so to speak, Hebrew, right? And if I take a minute to appreciate why God did that, I then appreciate the entire Hamishechum Torah. Right? What is God doing? God is saying to the characters of our story in Torah, right? Whether it was Adam and Chava that we just looked at, or Moshe when he's talking to the people, those stories are taking place in the present for the character. But I'm in 2023. It's no longer in the present, right? To me, now it's in the past. To them, it was the present, but to me, in the past. So God says, "How can I write something that's in a way that you can appreciate?" that it's the past to you, but it was definitely the present to them, right? So he writes everything in Vavayifuch to represent that, except for two psukim in all of Chumash. Perak Dalet Pasigalef, right, what you have here, Vahadam Yadad Chavishto, and in Perak Tetzayin, which we're actually going to do in our next topic, so we'll be doing it in this course too. Um, but this idea of Vahadam Yadad Chavishto, Right? Why is this written in regular past tense? Right? Adam yada is avar. Right? It's no vavayifuch. It's no future. What is it trying to tell us about this part of our story that Adam and Chava were together? Right? I don't know how you guys can unmute, but I assume you know how you can unmute. Why would God write this part of the story in regular past tense? instead of the vavahifuch saying it's past to them, but I mean, it's present to them, but uh, past to you. What is God's intention here? Anyone can unmute if they would like to, or write in the comment box. Okay, then I'll give you the answer. Um, meaning if all of the other stories are present to them, but past to us. This is written in past tense to say it's not just past to you in 2023. This is in the past to them. Meaning this part of the story, Pasuk Aleph, Adam Yada at Chava Ishto, Adam and Chava being together and having Kain and Hevel is not taking place here. It's taking place even before the sin, before they got kicked out of the Garden of Eden, right? So if we look at Rashi right below, Adam Yada, he simplifies it and just says, This is taking place before the story of getting kicked out of Gan Eden. Kodem shechata v'nitrad Gan Eden. Cain and Hevel are born before they are kicked out of Gan Eden. This is true for their pregnancy and their birth. Now, this is so significant, one, because we're going to really dive into where Adam and Chava for the rest of the story, but I want to appreciate her punishment for a minute, right? I always think of the concept of a punishment. If, let's say, I had never watched television in my entire life and someone says, you, Sefa, you are grounded. You cannot watch TV tomorrow night. Okay, <laughs> that's no big deal, right? Or if you said to me, 25 years ago, you know, you lose, you know, 10 minutes of your, you know, app time on your, on your phone. I didn't have a phone. Who cared? Right? So if you're telling Chava that pregnancy is going to be challenging and birth is going to be challenging, it's so es esoteric. That's like telling a kid in middle school, it's going to be hard to be pregnant. 
Okay, I'm not worried about that right now, right? That's not on my radar. That's not on my challenge list. Okay, sounds like a far-fetched punishment in the long term. But for Chava, it actually was a real punishment because she had experienced pregnancy and birth like that. She slept with her husband and boom, she has kind. She sleeps with him again, boom, she has Hevel, right? So no big deal. And now she's told, well, if you have any future kids, that's not going to be simple. So now appreciate your punishment. Right. So that's part one to appreciate what's happening here. And in addition, I want us to appreciate the naming of Cain and the birth of Cain and Hevel are before, like, literally that black cloud comes over them. Right. This is when things are still wonderful in their mind. Right. So what happens? What happens in this wonderful time? They're together. Vatahar, she gets pregnant. Vatiled el at Cain, she gives birth to Cain, and then we have this amazing statement, Vatomer, and she says, Kaniti ish et Hashem, right? I acquired man with God, right? What does that mean exactly? I acquired man with God, right? It's actually an incredible declaration statement, right? To appreciate this is to appreciate where Chava's coming from, right? Where is she coming from? She and her husband are the first humans in the world, but they don't have a human mommy and daddy, right? They were born from the dust of the earth and one from the next, right? So when she says, Kaniti ish et Hashem, I acquired man with God, she is saying, oh my God, literally, I am part of the creation of a human, Without me, this child, this human wouldn't exist, right? This is an emboldening wow factor statement, right? Of just, oh my gosh, right? I am a creator. I am godlike. Kaniti ish et Hashem. I acquired this with men. Without me, this child wouldn't exist, right? This is, she is the declaration, right? That Rashi quotes here from from the Gemara that she is saying there are three parents for every human, right? A mom a dad, and God. And she's saying if one of those didn't exist, the child wouldn't exist. Meaning, I'm awesome, right? I, as the mom, am awesome for letting this happen and enabling this. But number two, wow, this child is the first human in world history to have a mother and a father, right? And she is wowed by that moment. And this is going to become very significant as we continue on in our story into Pasuk Vatosef Laladet, she continues to give birth, et achiv, et hevel, to his brother, to hevel. And hevel was a shepherd and Cain worked the land, right? And after that major declaration in Pasuk Aleph, Pasuk Bet's silence is so monstrosity huge to our ears, right? When she gives birth to Cain, it's, oh my God, wow, that was a crazy, amazing experience, right? But then now she has his brother that doesn't even tell us why she chose his name, right? I agree. Someone wrote, I wonder if she knows the animals procreating. I am sure um, she did, but they weren't human, right? Even if she did get to witness it, And the truth is, the question would remain, would their pregnancy have been as long 
um, prior to the sin also. So I, I'm intrigued by the question, but I, I imagine it's that same, you know, it happened too early for us to truly appreciate. But here about right? Hmm. Why did she name him Hevel? Right? Not only why did she name him Hevel, what does Hevel mean? Right? The word Hevel literally means a breath, or others interpret it as the word nothing, N-O-T-H-I-N-G, right? Oh, I had his brother, right? I had the other one. And then it tells us about their jobs, right? And this is also so intriguing. But he Hevel Roatzon, Hevel is a shepherd, the Kain Haya Ovidadama, and Kain works the lamb. Now, now I imagine we are in the quote quote present tense of our characters, right? Because now they're having jobs, they're getting older, right? And we believe that the sin happens on the first day in Ganeden. So I imagine we're now in the regular world, not of Ganeden, and we see their professions, and that's super interesting. Right. Number one, Hevel is mentioned first in terms of his job, which is very strange. Biblically, we care very much about the order of the birth. And number two, why did he choose that job? Right. If he chooses it, why? Right. And when we think of a row at zone, when we think of a shepherd, right, shepherds literally have to take their flocks out. They are the travelers. Right. And Cain works the land. And so now I want to fully appreciate Cain as a personality here. Right. What does it mean he works the land? Right. Especially coming off of the heels of page one. Right. Yes, technically working the land is a punishment, but it's a punishment of God saying you have to earn a living and this is how you will earn a living. This is what a profession is supposed to be in this time period. So it was look at the concept of Oveda Dama as what we would say, I would say in the modern times of he inherited the family business, right? Meaning Adam was supposed to work the land and now Kayan is working the land, right? He literally is taking over the family business. So let's look at just these two psukim and appreciate who Kayan is, right? He's the firstborn in Sefer Bereshit, being the before, being the firstborn boy, super significant, right? So super significant, he's the first boy. Number two, we heard his mother's declaration, right? I am the first human in the world to be born, right? Then came my brother, literally just Achiv, no name, no significance to his name, right? And I have the family business. Right. So when I think about that, it's so like overwhelming of what this is like waving over Kayan as a personality, but obviously also on Hevel. Right. I always think of names as super significant. And I always laugh that my parents are very often on this this group. And so they always hear well, always hear the stories that I uh, refer to of myself and my childhood. But as a kid, they can validate me as a kid. I did not like my name. I felt it was very strange that I had friends who were Shira and Sarah, and those were typical, normal, as I would have called them, names. And I literally used to yell at my parents and cry, how could you give me such a horrible, unique, weird name? Now, thank God, in today's times, I very much appreciate it, very happy, (laughs) but then I didn't appreciate it. But my point in the story is children always ask their parents where they got their names, right? I've never met a kid that makes it to middle school 
that doesn't know why they got the name they got, right? Whether they were named after someone or their parents liked the name or whatever it comes from, there's always a meaning behind it. So of course, Kyan knows the meaning of his name. It's not like, oh yeah, sure, my parents named me Kyan. No, there's a reason. So he knows the reason for his name. He knows he's the Bahor. He knows he gets the family business, right? And then there's my brother, right? And with that, we continue into Pasuginal. Pasuginal, Vayihimi Ketiamim, time passes. Vayavei Kayin mi pri ha'adama mincha l'ashem. Kayin gives a gift, mincha, right? He brings a gift of the fruits of the land to God. Pasuk Dalid, Vehevel, he vi gam hu mi so no. He also brings a gift of the first of his um, sheep, umechal vehen, and the fattest of them. Hashem el hevel Hashem turns to hevel and to his gift. But to Kayan's gift and to Kayan, Hashem does not turn. This ticks Kayan off. He is livid. And his face falls. Um, hold on. Do you think the children experience any knowing? Um, yes, I do to answer that question, but we can get back to that after. Um, I just want to now analyze Psukim Gimel and Dalid, and I'm going to ask everyone to take away all their previous knowledge of this part of the story. Well, really for the whole story, but whatever you can of your previous knowledge, give everyone a clean slate. And I say to you that after a certain amount of time, Kayan brings a gift of fruits to God. And Hevel also brings a gift. He brings the most beautiful, fattest fir, um, first of his sheep. Hashem turns and accepts Hevel's gift, but he does not turn or accept Kayan's. Now, most people immediately jump to, well, something must have been wrong with Kayan's gift, right? But I want to look at these psukim at face value and say, if I want to blame anybody, for what's going to happen in this story, right? No spoiler alerts. Hopefully we're all aware that Kain kills Havel, so I'm sorry if I am spoiling it for someone. But taking away what we know from the future of the story, who would I blame for everything that's going to happen and unfold in the story? Kain brings a carbon first. Havel sees it because it says Gamhu, right? He sees what he's doing. He also brings a carbon after seeing Kain's. Obviously, there are definitely adjectives to describe Hevel's. So in no way am I going to say these are equal gifts, but they are definitely both gifts. God accepts and turns to Hevel, and he does not accept or turn to Kayan. And personally, I look at these psukim, and I look up at God, and I say, really? Really? You couldn't accept Kayan's gift because it wasn't the first of the of his fruits or it wasn't the fattest of his fruits. Okay, so they were tier B. So what? Right? When I think of it, you now you can appreciate the picture I put on your sheet. <laughs> I always, in my mind, this would never happen. So even though my parents are here, this would never happen. Let's say it was Mother's Day, right? It's Mother's Day and I run to the store and I pick up a Duncan Hines cake mix. 
right? My mother hates this, so this would be terrible. But I would pick up a Duncan Hines cake mix. I'd run into my kitchen. I throw it together in a nine by 13. I don't even use a mixing bowl. I mix it in my tin, right? That's how quote, quote, lazy I am in the scene. And I throw it in the oven and my sister is watching. She's like, oh my gosh, it's Mother's Day. What a great idea. I'm going to make mama cake, right? So she runs and makes this magnificent with fondant icing and these gorgeous chocolate pieces and they are both left on the island for my mother a 9 by 13 disposable tin of duncan hines and that gorgeous stunning she spent five hours making that cake and all of the decorations and i were to say to you my mother walks into the kitchen and sees both of these cakes what would i expect my mother to do and i hope the answer would be take a bite of both right you have two kids they each made something take a bite of both cakes i don't care if the duncan hines is less effort i don't care if you don't even like duncan hines if the person put in the effort take a bite of the cake calm homer right how much more so i look up at god and i say seriously do you know what's going to happen because of this story? You couldn't just take a bite of the freaking fruit, God, right? You couldn't just accept Kyan's carbon. And if I take it even one step further and I say, okay, in 2023, we do not have carbonot, right? In place of carbonot, we have tefillah, we have prayer, right? I don't believe that if I went to shul, and I was davening Shimon Esrei, but a little bit spacing, right? Like most of us do most of the time, right? One bracha I might be in focused, but then the other 16, right? The next 16, my mind is thinking about what I have to buy in the grocery store, what time I'm supposed to pick up this person, what am I supposed to be doing after I go to shul, whatever it may be, right? And then I focus in again for the last one. But I'm standing next to someone who is so intense and prays beautifully and is focused for all 19 brachot of Shemona Esrei. I don't believe that God would say, well, I'm only listening to the one that was focused the whole time. You, it wasn't perfect. Never mind. Right? If I believed that, I don't think I'd ever daven. Because I don't think I'd ever be the one that has the best that's being answered. So what is going on here? And why did God not accept this carbon of Kayans, right? And I think this is why so many people jump on the bandwagon. Well, his carbon must have been disgusting. It doesn't say that. It gave me tons of adjectives for Hevel. If it was so gross, why wouldn't it have given me adjectives for Kayans, right? But that's weird, right? But I think the key is actually in the last few words. Vayichar l'kayin ma'od. Kayan is livid and his face falls. And if I go back to my Duncan Hines cake for a minute, right? If I'm watching from the other room and I see that my mother walks into the kitchen, takes my nine by 13, pushes it to the side, ignores it, and only eats from my sister's cake, right? Not 30 seconds from now, not five minutes from now, but my knee-jerk emotion, right? Instant emotion shouldn't be anger. My first emotion is actually pain of rejection, of hurt, of sadness, 
right? It then turns and develops all ultimately, right, for my own ego, <laughs> then turn it into anger. But that's not my immediate reaction, right? The only time my immediate, rea or not mine, someone's immediate reaction would be if your gift was rejected is if you didn't give the gift for the receiver. If you gave the gift for you, meaning if I wanted to be acknowledged and taken and appreciated and I wasn't, then I'm angry immediately. Then that's my knee-jerk reaction. But if I have good intentions, then I wouldn't be angry right away. I'd be disappointed first. So meaning what God is showing us in this three words, is he's teaching us the major understanding of the word kavana, intention, right? And Hashem is saying, I just want you to appreciate what's going on here because you don't usually get to see what I see. I don't usually show you my perspective on things, but here I'll show you. Here I want you to appreciate my perspective and I get to see Kain's kavana. And he had no good intentions in giving me that Duncan Hines cake. Those fruits, I don't care if they were mediocre or A plus or C minus, they weren't for me. He wanted to feel good about giving me, but he didn't really want to give me. So he needs to understand what gift giving is about. He needs to be able to understand and appreciate the true definition of kavana, right? Which is why God is going to get involved immediately, right? So we jump to page three. Pasuk Vav, Vayomer Hashem El Kayin. Hashem then says to Kayin, Lama Karalach, Velaman Aflufanacha, Kayin, why are you so angry? And why is, did your face fall, right? When I vision face fall, it's like jaw drop, like he's in shock. He's like, why are you in shock? Why are you so angry about this? Right? And Pasuk Zion, a hugely monumental Pasuk, I would say, in Jewish philosophy. What does God say to him? Halo imtetiv se'et. Kayin, isn't it true that if you improve this, tetiv, right? You make it tov, you improve this, se'et, you'll be successful. But Kayin, imlo tetiv, if you don't fix this, if you don't improve, lapetach hatat ruvets, sin, Right, chait is sitting at the petach, at the door, at any opening. Rovates literally crouching at the door, waiting to pounce you. Right, the sin is just waiting on you to pounce. Elecha teshukato, its sole purpose in life is you, and to get you to mess up. But kind, I'm God, and I literally created you. I designed every element of you. You can be Moshel. You can rule it, right? Pasuk Zion is monumental because it truly defines the Yetzer Hara and the Yetzer Hatov, right? Hashem here explains that each one of us, this isn't Kayan, this is every human, right? We all have two parts to us. We have this, I, you know, I always hate that imagery of a devil because I, I don't think it's a separate entity. I think it's part of who we are, that there is a yetzer hara that literally sits in wait, 
right, sits in wait for us to mess up. And as soon as we give it a petach, even the slightest opening, rovates, it pounces us, right? It, it's just looking for us to open the door. That's its sole goal all day, every day. But the key is those last three words, that God is saying, but since I designed the Yitzer HaTov, I can tell you fact, it has the potential to be stronger, right? Not, not easy and definitely easier said than done, right? Uh, I always view Pasuk Zion, ironically, not in terms of mitzvot. I often think of it as a diet, right? So often if I don't want to be eating certain foods, right? I always think of literally, la peta chatat rovets. If I just take one bite of something, right? Even tonight I was making my kids pancakes. If I know if I had one bite of a pancake, then I would want five, right? There's no such thing for me as a one bite, right? I felt like they were staring at, right? Just wanting me to take a bite of these stupid pancakes. But right? this is the true understanding of not only Yitzhar Atov, but this is the true definition of willpower, right? It is our the power of our will, right? What is stronger? And what Hashem is saying is, I know it doesn't seem like that, but you have the power to be stronger. You have the willpower in you. You just have to literally build the muscle so it's stronger, right? And what he is saying to Kayan here is fix this. And he doesn't mean the actual carbon. He is not saying, go get me better apples, <laughs> right? He doesn't care about the apples. He's saying, if you're going to give me a gift, do it for me. Do things for the right reasons. Think about what you're doing, not about your ego and who you are, but think bigger, right? Think about what your goals are. And that's what he's hoping he's instilling in Kayan in this scene. Right, and then we go to Pasukhat, the climactical moment of our story. But I'm gonna read it and translate it so you can hear its oddity. Pasukhat by Yomer Kain El Hevel Achiv, and Kain says to his brother Hevel, while they are in the field, and Kain gets up on his brother, and he kills him. Right. This is the climax of our story. This is the monumental moment, right? First murder in world history. And it's so weird. Right? Vayomer Kain al Kain says to his brother Hevel, while they're in the field. And then it says, And Kain gets up on his brother and he kills him. What is missing in this Pasuk? What did God choose not to write in this pasuk? What did Cain say? Yeah. Exactly. Thank you. What, right. Someone wrote in the chat. Right. The conversation. Right. Vayomer Cain. God goes out of his way to tell me it's a conversation. Right. God goes out of his way to say Vayomer Cain. He said something. And then he tells me he kills him. But God won't tell me what they said. What? That is so strange. Right? If you don't want me to know the conversation, don't tell me it happened. 
right? If you don't want me to know what he said, then don't tell me by your kind. Just tell me by your kind. I'll have a lot of your Right? He's a murderer. Got it. Thank you. Right? Why tell me he said something if you're not going to tell me what he said? Right? And, you know, just FYI for anyone who's curious, there are over 50 midrashim on what this conversation was. Right? They runs the gamut of incredible hypotheticals of, you know, I think the most obvious straightforward, Cain comes to Hevel and he says, you know, God told me I could fix it. You're not the number one anymore. I can become number one again. Right? You know, that's intro number one. A different one is he says, you know, can you tell me what you did? Either way, right? It's a conversation of the two of them. I brought you below, I would say, probably on the top five of famous of the Midrashim, of what exactly this conversation was, right? So the Midrash Rabbah says, according to this, this particular um, element of the Midrash Rabbah, what was this conversation, right? He gives three options, this Midrash. Number one, that Cain and Hevel decided they are going to divide the world, right? Obviously, there's only two kids at this point, right? So they're discussing the division of the world, and they get in a fight about it, and Cain kills Hevel. Right? That's option one, a fight over land. Number two, the fight is over where exactly the Beit Dash is going to be built, on your half or my half. And a fight ensues, Kain kills Hevel. And option three is that they were fighting over who was going to either get Chava, or according to the Midrash, they had twin sisters. Obviously, there are no other girls mentioned. So who was going to get which girl? And ultimately, Kain kills Hevel. Right? And the reason I would say that this Midrash became the most famous of, or of the most famous of the Midrashim, is because every Midrash has a figurative takeaway, right? Not every Midrash is taken literally, but every Midrash always has a figurative takeaway message from it. And I think the takeaway message of that Midrash has been uh, widely accepted and appreciated that there are often three causes of murder um, to take place in this world, right? Number one, money. Number two, religion. And number three, women, right? Well, women or men, depending, you know, on which gender is going for it. But it's the concept of the sexual dynamic, the religious dynamic, or the money element. And therefore, those midrashim are often looked at as, uh, that midrash, sorry, is looked at as definitely uh, significant from that perspective. I mean, I would say, okay. Excellent. So, sorry from Naomi. We're going to talk about Naomi's answer in a second. Um, she said it may not have mattered what was said. Kyan was just angry and jealous, right? But so to to add to Naomi's comment, I would say it still leaves the question: Why tell me that anything was said, right? Because actually, Naomi's comment is what we're going to look at in Rashi, right? Because at least for me, as someone who is not so comfortable opening a midrash Rabbah, because they're not easy to understand and dissect. Um, to me, my personality would be like, oh, well, who will always choose that best midrash for me, <laughs> right? Who's already done all the dirty work, so to speak? Rashi, he often brings me the best midrash out there. So I'm going to open Rashi and see what Rashi says. So what does Rashi say? Right, similar to Naomi's answer, right? He just wanted to pick a fight so that he could have an excuse, to kill him, right? And I agree with Naomi, what does it mean he wanted to pick a fight? He was jealous, right? Never before in his life has his brother beaten him at anything, 
or been more significant than anything. So I totally agree with you, you Naomi, that this is huge for him. But for me, the most powerful part of Rashi is actually his next few words. And then Rashi says, and if you want to hear hypotheticals about the conversation, sure, go ahead. There's tons of Midrashim. And I, I remember the first time looking at this Rashi and I'm like, are you kidding? Is that a joke, Rashi? <laughs> like, thanks for telling me. Of course I know there's Midrashim. Why couldn't you bring me one? Why, why did you not bring me one? Which then always brings me to the brilliance of Rashi, right? That pain in me as an educator that always feels like, why do we teach Rashi to fourth graders? They have no appreciation for his depth. And therefore we see him as much more fourth grade rather than appreciating him at our perspective now. What is Rashi saying? The Because there's something that every single Midrash has in common. The common bond of every Midrash is the word all of us have used even in the chat before. It's a conversation. Right? It starts that Kayan comes to Hevel with something, whether he's right, whether he's wrong, whether he's starting nice, whether he's picking a fight, whatever it may be. But ultimately, Hevel responds. And whatever response Hevel gave to Kayan, it pushed Kayan's button. And that pushing of the button got him to the point that he murdered his own brother. And what Rashi is saying is, I think, something that at least I'm so jaded by in so much of trials and, you know, watching, you know, different law shows. The idea that so often, sadly, the victim gets put on trial, right? A good defense attorney will start trying to find all the different pieces of a defense for their defendant. And what I think Rashi is trying to highlight here is, if I bring you a Midrash, someone could possibly blame Hevel, right? You could say, well, if Hevel said that to me, that would also really tick me off, right? Or, you know, when Hevel responded, that was also really unfair, et cetera, et cetera. And so Rashi says, you know what? I don't actually want to tell you. I don't actually want to bring it to you because I don't want you to throw Hevel under the bus. I don't think it's fair. I want you to just, exactly as Naomi said it, he killed his brother. Enough said, right? Cain murdered Hevel. I don't want to dissect what Hevel could have said. Do we think there was anything Hevel could have said to him? Possibly, but exactly that question, meaning we can all now start wondering, well, why didn't you fix it, Hevel? Right? Like, why couldn't you defuse your brother? Why couldn't you calm him down? Why didn't you say it in a better way? And he wouldn't have gotten so angry. And therefore, Rashi is saying, and I think what Rashi is saying is really what God is saying, is I don't want to tell you about the conversation because I don't want you to blame Havel. I want you to just blame Kayan because Kayan killed his brother. But what's so powerful is we then go back to the question and we say, okay, God, I hear you. You don't want me to know the conversation because you don't want to throw Hevel under the bus. I appreciate you. But then why tell me there was a conversation? Why tell me by Omar Kayin al-Havel? And I think that's the most powerful part of the story. Because, at least for me, I've watched way too much Law and Order in my life and way too many criminal shows in my life. If it didn't say by Omar Kayin al-Havel, if it just told me that Kain got a pep talk from God, right? You got this. You can fix this. Go team, right? And then all of a sudden, Kain goes into the field 
and murders his brother, I would deem Kanyan a psychopath, right? There is no pushing of a button. There is no, it's, it's just, where did that anger come from? Where you are literally psychopathic and I would see no redeemable quality in Kayan. But Hashem says, I want you to know a conversation took place. I want you to know Vayomer Kayan El Hevel, because I want you to understand that this is humans. If a button is pushed, we can get to a point of murder. Even if that wasn't our original intention, even if I just wanted to pick a fight, sometimes anger can overtake us to such an extent. And I think this idea is so much more significant and it will help take us into the second part of the parak in a second to appreciate there's only three, five humans in this world at this point in time. In just 10 generations is the story of Noah and the model, right? Meaning in just nine or eight even generations from now, God is going to say, the world is so corrupt, I literally have to start again. I'm going to create a flood and start again because the corruption is just too much. And yet here, when it's literally just one guy, God could start again, right? God could just say, you know what, Cain, you are so corrupt. You murdered your own brother. Done. And start again, but God doesn't, right? That's not the punishment God chooses to give Cain. So clearly he doesn't see him as either psychopathic or not fixable, meaning human in the most literal sense, right? And therefore he wants to tell us, Vayomer Cain al-Havel, to appreciate Cain's humanity. But Cain is very much a human like any one of us making a mistake, and in no way am I belittling the level of the mistake, but it's a place where many people can get to, which I think is God's definite point in trying to highlight Vayomer Kain al-Havel, that something happened that triggered Kain to a point that he got to a place he could actually get up on his brother and kill him. I'm just gonna pause to read the questions. Could it be rule over Havel and since his offering, was rejected his brother would rule over him and therefore he killed him very possible uh, meaning the motive of him um i think could be anything i think kyan's motive you know I, we can totally hypothesize and come up with many many awesome theories on it um and is that why his life is spared 100 meaning i think his life is spared and i, I think that will get even clearer as we go through the next psukim. So I'm not going to address it in detail yet. I think it'll answer itself as we go through it, but we'll see how far we get in the next 10 minutes. And then we'll know if I'll answer you tonight or next week. Um, okay, so jumping jumping right down to Pasuk Tet. Vayomer Hashem el Kayan. And Hashem says to Kayan, Where's your brother, Havel? Vayomer. And he says, Right. I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Right. Those famous words. And so now for me, we have to spend time on these three words. Right. Because we saw very similarly in the story of Adam and Chava. Right. They ate from the tree. They realized they're naked. They hide. And then Hashem says to them, 
Adam, Ayeka, where are you? Right? Very calm. Now, I'm not belittling eating from the tree. But if you asked me, which is a bigger deal? Eating from a tree you're told not to? Or murdering your brother? I think I'd go with murdering your brother. Right? And to me, when I hear those three words, and this, I think, Manzi will answer your question a little bit more. Right? I always think, and you know, I feel bad that I, I'm throwing my parents under the bus so much in this class. But I always, when I read this pasuk, think back to my childhood. Right? I think back to that time that I failed my history test. And my parents, I come home from school. So, Safa, how'd you do on that history test last week? Now, one of my favorite things to do was just not tell the truth. So, at that moment, when they asked, how'd you do on that history test? I'm like, oh, you know, we didn't get it back yet. <laughs> right? Because in my mind, I was like, oh, I can, I can take care of this. They'll forget about it by, you know, two days from now. You know? And then things went downhill fast because unbeknownst to me, and I should have put two and two together, the teacher had already called and already told them about, yeah, exactly. Your facial reaction? Exactly. Bad day. Bad day in Cephaville, to say the least, right? I'm sure they're laughing on their private screens right now, right? But it was a bad day. But in theory, right, why did they ask me that question, right? They were hoping we could have a conversation about it, right? And I can tell you there were other things I've done in my past that it wasn't, oh, Sefa, how did blah, blah, blah go, right? No, right? There were other times that whatever the situation was, there was already steam coming out of the ears and there was no, oh, we'd love to have a conversation about this. So let's ask you a question. No, none of this, none of that. It was trails blazing of steam of anger and punishment immediately, right? So I look at this Pasuk and I'm like, gosh, this sounds like my, my history test. Right? right? Hey, where's your brother, Hevel? Right? And so to Mandy's question, I say, why is his life spared? Clearly, God is not seeing this murder the way we're seeing this murder. Right? Because God is pretty darn calm. Right? This is failing a history test, not murdering someone. Right? Your brother here. Right? So God very calmly, oh, where's Hevel? Right? And then we get to Kayan's reaction, which is, which is also sh so shocking, right? I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Right? And to take that pasuk at face value, it has to be either Kayan has no understanding of who he's talking to, right? He has no concept that this is God, the all-knowing God that knows exactly where Hevel is, and he knows exactly what happened to Hevel, and he knows exactly who did it to Hevel. So what that is he saying, right? I would never have said to my mom, I don't know how I, you know, I didn't get the test back. If it was in the room when the, the teacher called my mom, right? That's insane. What kid would do that? I'm not that dumb, right? <laughs> that silly I would not have been, right? So clearly either he does not understand God and what that means, who God is, or he's actually not trying to pull a fast one on God. Meaning, if he's not trying to pull a fast one, so to speak, and he means it literally, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Right? When I look at that pasuk and I look at Kain as a normal guy, I think he actually means it. 
I think the reason God is not seeing this as the crazy huge thing that it is, is because Cain doesn't understand what it is. Meaning, if we are looking at before and saying, oh, they didn't know what happens with this, they've never seen death before. They don't understand mortality. So when he says, right, I don't know where Hevel is. I beat him up in the field. I left him lying there. There was blood. But I don't know, that was a half hour ago, right? I'm sure he's gotten up and walked away since then. So I don't know where he went because he has no concept of what he did. He knows he hurt him. He knows he inflicted pain. He knows he did it purposely and, you know, trying to afflict pain. But I actually take that pasuk very literally. I don't know where my brother is. I, I don't know. Is he, is he still in the field? Did he go for a walk? I don't know. Right? Which is why God is so calm. Right? All of a sudden, the pieces are going to make so much more sense of, number one, why is his life spared? Why is his punishment so light? Right? Why doesn't God start the world over now instead of waiting for Noah? Right? All of a sudden, we have a new appreciation for Cain to look at him and say, hmm, I actually don't think you understood at all what happened which is why what we'll do in next class is un understand what God is going to explain to him about death, about punishment, and be that much more of, you know, a teacher father figure for him as we uh, continue on on our journey. Um, I'm going to pause here for tonight, but I do want to say I'm so sorry. Next Sunday, I Baruch Hashem have a simcha, so I won't be available to teach next Sunday night, but the class will be on Monday at this time slot at eight o'clock Israel time, one American time. But obviously if Monday is a bad time, it will be recorded. Um, so looking forward to continuing Kain and Hevel next Monday night. Have a wonderful week and a wonderful Elul. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you. My Thank pleasure. You. Thank you. Thank you.